Well, I want to talk about gratitude again this Sunday. Every once in a while, I'll say something. I'll use a phrase or I'll make a statement in church that later on I think, I wish I wouldn't have said it quite that way. Do you ever do that in conversation? Well, if you do, you, you, should, have, you should have compassion for me because I do it frequently and I do it very publicly. And it wasn't a big thing, and it may not even been this service. It may have been the first service only. But I, I was trying to make the point about the importance of gratitude to our well-being and also to our happiness. Gratitude is such that almost by definition, if you are grateful, you will be happy. And all happy people are grateful people. They, they interpenetrate one another. And so trying to make that point, I said... If there were such a thing as a happy pill, gratitude would be it. Now, I think everybody understood what I was trying to say, but still, still, what strikes me is that kind of language has the danger of suggesting that it's all pretty automatic. It's all pretty settled. If you're a grateful person, and everything's going to be smooth. You're going to be happy. There aren't going to be difficult times. And that simply isn't the case. In fact, in fact, feeling happy and being happy are not the same thing. And there are times when you may not feel grateful, even when you are grateful. Um, so, so I want to come back to this. And I had mentioned I wanted to speak to the, the issue of gratitude Gratitude when you suffer. Gratitude when you're in a dark place. And some people are in a terribly dark place. It's an interesting book called Jesus in the Margins. And in that book, there's a letter from a young woman named Tiffany. And I want to read to you what she wrote. When I was nine years old, I was molested by a family member. At the time, I really didn't understand what was happening but I knew it wasn't normal. I was too scared to tell anyone. And because he was a family member, I felt that, it somewhat, that somehow my mom and dad allowed it to happen. Looking back, I can see that wasn't true, but at the time, I didn't know any better. The abuse continued until I was 12, and I told my mom what was happening. She cried so loud and for so long. I realized then the gravity of what had happened. I've never been able to scrub the sick feeling off my soul that was put there through the abuse. So I just go through life feeling that if anyone ever knew who I was on the inside, they would simply reject me. I hate men. That's maybe a little strong, but every relationship I've ever had has been shallow because of it. I can't give myself to them, not emotionally anyway. I can have a sexual relationship, but that's about as far as it goes. For some reason, trusting men with my body isn't a big deal. I just can't trust them with my heart. I'm kind of angry with God. Why did he let it happen to me? He couldn't really love me. I hope one day I can be honest with someone about my life and about what has happened to me, even the things I've done. And I hope that person can love me anyway. I'm going to talk about Tiffany a little bit later, but 
I think on some level, most of us can relate to what she shares, and some of us can relate to it on a very deep level because what she experienced, some in this room have experienced. And if it wasn't exactly the sort of abuse she describes or mentions at least, you've seen your, your share of suffering and darkness and it isn't just perhaps an occasional thing. I think for many people, life is pretty good and you get a punch in the gut when something serious happens and you don't feel good at that moment, but, but you know you're gonna get over it and you know things are going to be okay. But the thing that's really, really, really hard, at least it's hard for me as a pastor when I talk with people, is when you meet up with somebody like Tiffany who suffered so deeply and so personally and in her case and in many others, so young when she's so vulnerable. And you think, God, God, how can this be? And, and you see the anger and you see the hurt and maybe the depression that goes with it, maybe the self-harm that goes with it. You see those things and you think, you know, I can understand why. And then somebody comes along and talks about gratitude. People in that situation often find gratitude a real stretch, and some of you might find it very hard to imagine. Because you, you're at that place where you're not sure you can trust God. I mean, how can you trust God when God allowed something so painful to happen in your life? So you're not sure if you trust God, and you're not sure that you have any hope for the future because you've had lots of hopes and they've been, dis been disappointed. What strikes me, one of the things that strikes me about Tiffany's letter is the way at the end she voices this hope and it's not for a whole lot. And she doesn't even sound confident that it's going to come her way, but she expresses the hope. I just hope somebody, somebody knows me and gets to know me as I am and loves me as I am. That's, that's really what I hope for. And so people find it hard to trust God and they find it hard to hope. Now, in light of that, it's easy to say, well, you know, of course, of course people will, will find it hard to be grateful, hard to give thanks. But the Scripture does call us to give thanks to God even in the midst of it. You find this in the Psalms. You read through the Psalms, you'll find many passages of lament, passages in which the psalmist pours out his heart over what he has endured. But then you come across verses like this. Let me read it to you. Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. And get this, let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Let them hear what I'm saying. Let, they hear, let them hear my praise and let them rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Here we have the afflicted. Some of your translations might say the poor. Either translation's good. The Hebrew means 
that it refers to somebody having a burden on their back that weighs them down. There's a picture that goes with the Hebrew of being bent over. And so there is this weight, this oppressive pressure upon a person's life. They are afflicted and they are poor. Often the poor are those who suffer in such a way. And so in the Hebrew Bible, the poor are often spoken of as the afflicted, as the burdened, as the bent ones. But here the psalmist refers to the afflicted. He says, let the afflicted hear my praise and let them rejoice. He invites them to participate in the worship of God. He's inviting those who are in that dark place to rise up, to look up, and to give glory to God. How can that be? Well, I think in the psalmist's day, he would look back to the Exodus. He would look back to God's faithfulness to Abraham. He would see how God had raised up David. He would look at the promises set out by the prophets and others. But in our day, I think, we find trust in the incarnation and we find hope in the resurrection. I want you to think about this for a moment. Trust. When, when we suffer and when we suffer for a long time and people whose lives have been engulfed in some form of suffering or abuse or neglect or rejection, betrayal, whatever. When that happens for a long time, it's difficult for us to trust God because how could God let us go through such a thing? And the Bible doesn't really explain that. The Bible says the secret things belong to God and God is, God is not necessarily in control, but God is in command. When I say he's not necessarily in control, what I mean is God is not directly sending evil, but God does allow evil, and we don't quite understand. We know he's working out his purposes, but we don't quite understand why it's allowed. And that's why we have trouble trusting. But remember, Jesus Christ appeared. The Son of God became flesh among us. And when he came, he came with a stigma, this illegitimate child. And when he was called to preach good news, he preached it in the face of abuse and slander and opposition by the very people who knew better or should have known better. He was someone who faced betrayal opposition all the way to the cross. And the cross itself was not simply unbearably painful. It certainly was that. One who's crucified hangs there in front of all and suffocates slowly, agonizingly, as birds of prey come and begin to devour their flesh even before they're dead. It was a horrifying death. But see, the whole point of it was to be horrifying. I talked about that a couple of months ago. The cross was meant to shame and humiliate. The cross was meant to say, you are not human. You're not decent. And so it was reserved only for the worst of the worst criminals, the slaves, the derelicts the refuse of society. 
That's what Jesus received having come in the flesh. Think about that. Now, I don't know why God allows the things that he allows, but can I trust him? Well, can't I trust a God who comes in flesh and is named Emmanuel, God with us, who walks this life, the same kind of life we have to walk, and suffers it in order to redeem us, to save us, to bring us into glory. God is willing to enter into that himself. Now, I may not understand why he allows things in your life or mine. I may not understand that, but can't I trust a God who acts in such a way to save me? This isn't a God who stands off distant and says, oh, well, let me, let me maneuver affairs so it can work out the way I want. This is a God who gets right in the middle of it. You know, we sometimes talk about solidarity. People want to show solidarity with the poor, the solidarity with sufferers. Well, in the incarnation, we see God's solidarity with human beings. God is with us. So the fact that Jesus comes as a human being and he dies on a cross, that doesn't, that doesn't explain why people suffer, but it is the indispensable perspective on suffering. It's what we must hold to that we might trust God I may not understand God, but I can trust his heart because he's entered into the very suffering. I know he understands. And then there's the resurrection. I can trust God because of the incarnation, which leads to the cross. But I can also have hope because of the resurrection. You see, the Bible nowhere suggests that people won't suffer and that life won't sometimes be hard. And God often allows his people to endure terrible things. In fact, sometimes sends difficult trials upon them. But there is a resurrection. That's the way of our God. Jesus is on the cross and he's buried dead in the tomb, but he rises again triumphant. That's the way of God. And that's the way of God in our lives as we're his followers. Yes, we might have to pass through a difficult time, but there is grace to raise us up. And even though in the moment it may seem as if the dark night never ends, there is a morning that comes. And we wait for that morning. We wait for hope because we know that the new day dawns because the resurrection has come. The resurrection is a sign of the new day dawning. It's God's way of working in our lives, not to protect us from all suffering, but to bring us out of it and to elevate us above it. And it's a preview for what God has in the future, that there is going to be a redemption. And, and redemption is the right word here. Listen, most religions, not all, you may be surprised to know that not all religions believe that you will go to some kind of heaven. Um, there are religions that don't believe that you as an individual survive death at all. But most religions have some notion of an afterlife. And most of them talk about, at least for some of humanity, in that afterlife you will receive consolation for the suffering you had in this life. 
It's complicated. Different religions take different approaches. But still, this idea of afterlife is very common. But when we talk about the resurrection, we're not talking just about consolation. We're not saying that, oh, well, God's going to put a happy ending on a really miserable life. Resurrection is redemption. It is restoration. It is this body that dies, but this body that is raised and glorified. Resurrection points to a a renewal, a, a transcendent fulfillment. And what that means is this. In God's kingdom, nothing is wasted. Your suffering is not wasted. What's more, nothing is lost. You know, that's one of the things that we suffer from is, is we think, you know, I've, I've missed out on so much. I've lost so much. And you feel like you've lost something forever. But the truth is you haven't lost anything. Not if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You haven't lost anything. That there is going to be this restoration. So we can have trust and we can have hope. And with those, we can, by the grace of God, find joy. Find joy. It may at times be a kind of struggling joy, and yet it is real joy. You know who writes about this? J.R.R. Tolkien. Do we have any Tolkien fans in here? Anybody who's read the books, Hobbit, Fellowship of the Rings, all those? You've read the books? Did you, have you really read the books? You couldn't pay me to read. Those things are thick. What's that? Oh, you're doing audible books. Oh, well, I can do an audible book. Anybody can do an audible book. Well, you got audible and you got movies, right? Right? I mean, those are thick books. My wife read The Hobbit when she was a, a girl growing up. And it's like, I mean, it was this thick thing and the print was tiny. I'd never read all that stuff. I lose track about who's who. You know, they have all these different characters and hobbits and I don't even remember all of them. I lose track. But Tolkien actually is one of the great uh, literary geniuses of the 20th century, and increasingly people have come to appreciate his thought. And he actually talks about the way stories function, particular kinds of stories. He coined a term for something that he says pierces us with a joy that brings tears. The term was eucatastrophe. Eucatastrophe. Literally, it's a combination of good catastrophe or even joyful catastrophe. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about some setback, some terrible outcome that seems absolutely certain. And then an unexpected, even miraculous reversal that brings about salvation. He talks about stories ancient stories that have eucatastrophe right in the heart of them. Often, he says, it involves a character who is, who is weak, and yet, in the end, the weakness turns out to be the strength that secures the victory, or a character that is defeated, and yet the defeat, ironically, in a twist, turns out to be the victory. He says stories like this touch our hearts. In fact, the way he describes it, he thinks everyone has, as it were, 
a bass string running through their heart. And when, when, say, you watch a movie like this where everything is against some character and everything is going wrong and they're overwhelmed by what's happening and yet there's this turn and salvation in some form comes, he says, that string reverberates in your heart. You, you feel that, and there is a joy that brings tears, a poignant joy, he calls it. He says, it's, it's joy that is close to sorrow because it comes from the same place from which both joy and sorrow come. Now, I know that sounds, that sounds a little mystical, maybe. But he says, it's like, it's like, Selfishness and altruism coming together in love. Think about love. You love someone with all your heart and you need them. You want them in your life. It's like a kind of selfishness. And yet, you would do anything for them, absolutely anything. There's no sacrifice you wouldn't make. You will give it all for them. That's altruism. This selfishness and altruism are reconciled in love. And he said, there's a kind of joy in which joy and sorrow are reconciled. They come together. He says, that's what you have in a eucatastrophe. You have this disaster, this horrible set of circumstances. And then the deliverance. But Tolkien says... There is a eucatastrophe, and then there is the eucatastrophe. He says, when you, when you read a story, or we might watch a movie, and it has this theme to it, you feel it. I mean, you may even cry as you watch the movie, as you see this, this turn of deliverance. And that string in your heart vibrates, but he says it can't pluck the string. What plucks the string is the true story of Jesus Christ crucified, laid in the tomb, and risen again from the dead. This one who came in weakness, and in his weakness, he was strong. This one who laid down his life to take it back again. This one who was defeated, and yet in the defeat, triumphed. That plucks the string and it vibrates in our hearts. It reverberates with joy and nothing can take away that joy. That's what Tolkien talks about. He speaks of this eucatastrophe. Here's the point I'm trying to get to. Whatever it is in your life that seems to bring darkness over your heart and mind, you must reframe that and worship you must remind yourself that God is good, always good, that he is the one who sent his son to endure the agony of the cross and the shame that went with it. He's not far off and distant. It's not that he can't understand what you've gone through. He can understand. You may not understand why he allows it, but you can know that he's good. You have to remind yourself of that and worship your good God. And you can have hope 
because this is a God who brings life out of death. That is the way of this God, and that is his intention for, for the whole creation, life out of death. You are not beyond hope. You are not destined, no matter how you may have been broken by your past, you're not destined to be a broken person. There is grace for you. It's important to reframe your story to not think of God has forgotten me, God doesn't care about me, I'm going to stay in this place, I, nothing seems to work. You have to reframe all that. God is good, God loves me, God is able to raise me up, God has promised to do it through Jesus Christ. You have to reframe this whole thing, re-narrate it, tell a different story about yourself and then worship your God, worship your God. I hesitate to bring this up because I don't want to sound like a broken record, but this was an important moment in my life, and I've shared it with you before, uh, but some of you probably weren't here when I shared it, so I'll do it again. When my brother was murdered four years ago, that's a life-shaking event, I can tell you. And it was, it was a surreal experience to go down to Baton Rouge and to be with my sister-in-law and the ch and. and Dale's children, and, and do the funeral. I did the funeral service. And uh, I didn't really know how I felt. It was funny because you go, maybe you've experienced this, you go with just no, no feeling whatsoever. You know, you're just numb. And then you can be flooded all in a minute on what's, what's happening. But I knew it wasn't about me. And I was just trying to be available to God. But I was, I, was, I was trying to pray, and I wasn't doing a very good job of it. There was a point in there where I went days without praying at all. And it wasn't that I was mad at God. I was never mad at God. It wasn't that. It was just I didn't know what to say. I just had nothing to say. My heart was open, but there were no words in my mouth. And that was when the Lord gave me the phrase that we've used in some of our church publications. It's not just a clever little... Uh, marketing ploy that we put together. It's something that, that I felt like God gave me and I shared it with the church and others said, you know, this is, this is what we ought to say to people. God is good. Grace is real. All is well. Now, you might want to say, well, wait a minute. Not, all is not well. I get that, but I think when I was dealing with my brother's murder, I have a right to say all is well. You hear what I'm saying? Not that all is wonderful. I know that. I didn't think everything was okay. But I knew all was well in the plan of God because all would be well. All would be well. God is good. He sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross. He identifies. I'm not, I don't go through anything that he doesn't understand from the inside not just from the outside because he's God and God knows everything, from the inside. God is good. Grace is real. You have to remind yourself that grace is real because you know what? When you're really going through it, sometimes it doesn't seem real. So you remind yourself, you know, grace is real. And if I look for it, if I look for it, I will see the grace of God in my life each day, I'll see it, and it will sustain me. 
And I go forward able to say, all is well. I am in God's hands. He's going to lead me on. We need to learn to reframe our story, re-narrate it, and then worship our good and gracious God. That's what I'm saying. Now, I mentioned Tiffany. read that letter that she wrote. In the same book, later in the book, in fact, at the end, another letter appears, another letter from Tiffany, who had received Christ and was growing in her faith. This is a follow-up letter. And it's a reminder, I think, of just what God is able to do in a person's life. Listen to what she writes. I am always amazed at how God has met me in the deepest parts of me. I realize that God has loved me the whole time. The abuse taught me that I was worthless, but Christ has taught me that I am precious to him. The greatest thing is that in his love, I could really forgive the person who hurt me and move on. Moving on is a daily thing for me. I can't say that it's cut and dried or that the pain is gone forever, but it's different now. I'm still single, but I don't give myself away to guys anymore. I see now that the love I was looking for can only be found in Jesus. I am a grateful daughter who is just trying to stay in my father's love. I love that. I love that. Now, this is a young lady that grateful, grateful. If she did nothing but complain about her plight in life, probably none of us would blame her. But that's what God does. God comes into your life, and if you'll let him, he brings you to a place of gratitude, of forgiveness, of healing. I love the way she puts it. I'm a grateful daughter just trying to stay in my father's love. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Just a grateful child staying in the love of God. That's what we're called to do. What I want to invite you to do today, it depends really on where you might be. I realize it's not as if every single person in this room or even the majority of us are in a terribly dark place. I understand that. For many of us, the dark places we enter are just, it's just a momentary thing. It's a grief. We lose someone that we love, but we know we're going to get better. We have a setback. We know we're going to overcome it. And I know that's for many of us. And, and I hope that some of what what I've been saying would be an encouragement to you. But there are some of us that it, there's a gnawing inside and it just never leaves. It's just always there and you can't get rid of it and you don't even know how to talk about it. There really is healing for you. There really is. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, in other words, if he doesn't call the shots in your life and he hasn't entered into your life to give you a new start, then that's the first step. That's the first step to entering into a whole new chapter. 
And you can do that this morning. There's nothing, nothing special you have to do. That is, there aren't any particular words you need to say. And there are no, there are no Baptist words or Episcopalian words or Catholic words or Presbyterian words. I mean, there's no, none of all that. What you have to do is simply acknowledge your need and reach out to him in prayer. The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You know what it is? It's a eucatastrophe that takes place. You call on the name of the Lord and everything might seem like it's against you, but then it turns. And God will not only save you, but he will take what has worked against you and turn it for good and use it for good and for his glory, and you will never regret it. So I want to invite you, if you've not received Christ as Lord and Savior, why not receive him today? And if you're a believer and you've gotten stuck in, in this, this dark place, why not reframe your life in light of the gospel and worship? Why not? Why not? Pray with me now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the grace that has been poured out in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness that we've seen in him. Our prayer, Lord, is that you would, you would continue to work in our lives. Help us, Lord, to rise up to live differently, Lord, not, not lives of unbelief, but of trust and hope. We pray you would do it. And for those, Lord, who, who need a Savior, they, they want to receive you, may you give them grace now to call on you and to be saved. In Jesus' name, I ask it. Amen.